Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 428. You can get mad and you can, you know, you can blow up here and there. But, you know, if you earn the respect, you ask them who they are. And when you get upset, you know, they feel bad. When you're a dick and and you get upset, they they just don't care. And I, you can get more out of people um, and more out of your staff by, you know, treating them like people. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months Free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. All right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Keith Fuller. Keith, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Pretty good. Yes, that is what we like to hear. And uh, before we get started, I got to give a shout out to my man, Roddy Gibbs, for setting this up. Roddy is with Total Loyalty, a great company, great people over there. And Roddy's also hosting me, so I wouldn't be able to do this without him. Uh, after working in kitchens such as the award winning LaBear in Dayton, Ohio, and Jack's in, uh, <laughs> say it for me, man, <laughs> Manny Young, Manny Young, Pennsylvania, uh, Fuller settled down in Pittsburgh, opening up his first restaurant, Route 174, in 2011. Today, with over 20 years of experience, Keith Fuller is the chef owner of Pork and Beans, a new concept in collaboration with Chef Richard Deschamps. And obviously, we're just scraping the surface. We're not really diving into who you are and what you're all about. I can't wait to get your story. But before we do that, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with the success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? I would say uh, work, live, but just remember you have a life. Work, live, but just remember you have a life. Ooh. How does that resonate with you? What, what, what does that say to you? Um, to me, uh, I've always worked to live. And then until I met my, my wife, i never taken a vacation except to work in other people's kitchens. <laughs> and, uh, and I am old now. And uh, I, I've never really lived my life. And then having a son recently who's uh, nine months old, I have uh, just kind of want to make sure that I'm around. And uh, I could see how it affected my marriage before. I dig that, man. Uh, there's a lot more to life than work. So yeah. I, I get where you're... I'm picking up what you're putting down. So well, where did it all start for you? Like, when did you first get into the restaurant industry? Um, so I was a polymer science major in high school. Uh, I took a vocational. was top of my class. I love everything about science. I love everything about space. Um, 
I was doing plastics, and for some reason, I got a job at Yours Truly in Date, uh, in Hudson, Ohio. Okay, and uh, which is a family kind of like hash house diner kind of feel. Um, okay, and started as a dishwasher and. For some reason, I was enamored by the line cooks that were like uh, one guy was named Scooter, and uh, one guy was drove a truck called uh, Plum Nasty, and it was like uh, it was just a black pickup truck with so much uh, marijuana was smoked out of that car <laughs> that uh, that I was just enthralled by this whole lifestyle, and I wanted to become a cook, and uh, so I finally worked my way up to the line and. And then, you know, still going to polymer science, I just wanted to do cooking. And if I was going to choose cooking, I wanted to do the best cooking. And I didn't want to do, I wanted to do finer dining. And so um, my dad owed me an education, or was what he said. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. Um, but I went to Wright State for a year. And then I dropped out one Tony Hawk Pro Skate and Legend of Zelda came out at the same time so I stopped Ooh, going to class. That's a one-two punch right there man. I don't blame yeah, you. It was horrible. <laughs> and I realized that uh, there was a there was a I needed a job and LaBerge was there and I went there a couple times begging for a job and they finally hired me and um, yeah and then I was there for about a year and then uh, I thought I should go to Philadelphia to the restaurant school and then, uh, so, uh, I moved to Philadelphia, went to the restaurant school and let's just say that, uh, I would say that being young in Philadelphia and drugs and working in a restaurant and whatever changed, uh, changed my opinion on school. Uh, and, uh, also my chef said that he would teach me anything I wanted, uh, and school would be too expensive. So just you know you'll save you money in the long run so i think this is a good stopping point to kind of reflect on what you've shared with us so far so it sounds like early on when you're just getting started in the in the industry what really uh drew you to it was the people um let's lean more into that what was it about these people aside from the fact that they had a really cool truck that could <laughs> provide a good space for smoking marijuana like what was it about these people that really uh drew you towards the industry i'd say i mean it's just that, you know, it's like hard work, you know, um, there was a camaraderie, you know, everybody's got each other's backs, you know, uh, I think it was just like, you know, you work really hard and then at the end of the, your shift, then you played really hard and being young and whatever, I looked at that and it was just like, that's awesome. Like there's this camaraderie, like we all hung mm. out after work. We'd all go to someone's house and drink beer or we'd all like, you know, just do something together. And I think that kind of like you know family yeah. feeling brought brought yeah. me in you know it's it's one of those things i mean to to work you really got to know the people you're working with in this industry because you're shoulder to shoulder with them you need to know their habits what who they are if you can trust them and uh, they're they're in it with you every day so like you really bond quickly and it's one of those things that we all need uh we need that sense of belonging uh being a part of something like you know and that that can really fuel and drive a young person do you think that has something to do with it oh yeah so. that's awesome um okay so you move out to philadelphia um you realize that maybe school is not your jam you meet a chef uh and he's trying to say hey man like you got what it takes he sees something in you yeah he encourages encourages you to pursue uh learning the hard knocks way just through getting experience and climbing yeah. the ladder let's go back to that point so um so it was at jake's and maniunk uh 
It, it was David Boyle and uh, Bruce Cooper. Um, it was a four-star restaurant. Um, they hired me. Uh, I started off. My prep list was three pages, single-spaced, vegetation, the hardest station. <laughs> uh, you know, to be set up on 5 o'clock was near impossible. So, I mean, I had to go in, like, at least three hours before. I couldn't clock in because there was no... Uh, you know, you couldn't get overtime, so it was on my time, which I take as a, you know, it was like school, and I would prep everything up, and then at five o'clock, the first, you know, it took me at least six months until the first day I was set up. Uh, you know, I was outside smoking, and my chef came up to me and he was just like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm set up. I'm all proud." Blah blah blah. <laughs> Goes over my station and starts looking at it, and then he just starts throwing shit away, just just to. I'm not sure if to teach me a lesson or just to be like, you know, just put more emphasis on like, get back to work. But he threw away half my station. And he's like, well, now you got 20 minutes to be set up again. And I, I literally had to reprep and bring Walla shallots and garlic and oh set man up. so let's let's really dive into that what do you think the lesson was i mean uh, he, he was probably he's definitely teaching you something. What do you think he wanted to communicate to you in that moment? I think it was um one, you know, you're never set up. You're never, you know, and then two, it's like I could have been helping out someone else. Yeah. And, you know, instead I was wasting my time smoking yeah. cigarettes and just hanging out in the alleyway. You got time to lean. You got time to clean. You always got something to do, right? Yeah. And uh, Or helping somebody else or being proactive and uh, doing something to, to take your game up a level, you know? Like, I think that's probably, if I, if I was him, that's what I would be trying to do. Yeah. Um, all right. Keep going, man. Uh, yeah. And then and I basically had asked, you know, some of the, the sous chef and the... Uh, for help, which I never asked for help too, so which would probably be another lesson. And you know, I got set up halfway through the shift. It was it was a rough day, but uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, cool. So, any other like reflecting back in this time of your life, any other big lessons uh, learned? Uh, what was the name of this restaurant again? This was Jake's. Amanda. Jake's. Okay. Any other big lessons you picked up from this this group? These people. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, so I I worked for Bruce. Um, Oh God! For six years, and you know, um, quit on him twice. I think, and he always hung, hired me back. Uh, I became the saucier. Uh, I was the youngest kid, even though everybody said that uh, I wasn't the the guy because I was just too much of a party animal. And uh, <laughs> they were like, "Oh, that's not the guy. That's not the guy. He can't be the saucier." And the chef was like, "No, this is going to be the guy." And uh, I used to get in at five o'clock in the morning, and then uh, I would work till three, and then. Bruce would come in and just like start checking everything out and like and one time he caught me like eating cereal on his dime and he yelled at me and I just looked at him and I was like listen I get here every day at 5 o'clock you can check the, the fire alarm code I was like I don't clock in until 8.30 I was like it's 7.30 right now I got everything on I'm going to eat this damn cereal I'm going to read this paper and whatever and then after that he literally was just like check. I think he checked the, the time thing and looked at it and was like okay and then he started asking me to work at his other restaurant. So I'd do the 5 o'clock in the morning till 3. And then I would go to his other restaurant from 4 until Jeez. midnight. And then from midnight till 2 or 3, I'd go out. And then I'd wake up and do it all over again. Oh, man. Uh, that's a long day. So um, <clears throat> before we move on, I mean, is there anything else that you want to – that reflecting on how he ran his business as a, as a restaurateur or how he treated his people or any other big nuggets that you think that influence you to this day that you yeah. want to share with us? Well, I mean, he never said no, <clears throat> and uh, which was, you know, 
good and bad. I mean, as at the time being young and, and being like, oh, some person wants a souffle, we had to figure out how to make it. Um, he, he always said yes, and you know, and and doing events, like we did book and the cook, which was always awesome. Uh, which was they brought in a, uh, a, a famous uh, cookbook author. He'd come to the restaurant and, and they'd have his book there. And then we'd make dishes off of the book and and serve it to people. All the the cookbook author came, so that was like my first experience with like events in the early two thousands of like doing food like fun food events. Awesome. So uh, you were there until two thousand five, two thousand six. You said you were there for six years. Yeah, uh, and then you move um, to. What was the next location? Was that LeBear? Yeah, LeBear, uh, no, LeBear's was was in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. So when I dropped out of um, college, I got a job at LeBear's. Okay, okay. And and worked there for a year. And then you went to Jake's. Yeah, then I went to Jake's. Then from there, or Jack's. I, it was uh, Jake's. Sorry, it's Jake's. Cooper's. <laughs> it's, now it's Jake's and Cooper's Wine Bar. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, keep going. Um, so for after um, Jake's, um, the Broadhurst. Uh, came down and uh, chris jackson was an old chef of mine at, at jake's um he came to open up six pen and he wanted me to be a sous chef because um, we worked really well together and uh you know i had to fly down here eden park had a no visible tattoo policy uh, so this is like their first fine dining eden park's fine dining adventure yeah, i wonder how long that policy lasts <laughs> well <laughs> they basically abolished it because of me um but the the funny thing is they called me up and they're like oh hey you know you know, this is Eaton Park. I hung up the phone, and they called me back. I think I think we lost you. I was like, no, I hung up the phone. I'm not going to go fly to Pittsburgh. One, I never will live in this godforsaken <laughs> city. Two, I was like, Eaton Park now, and they're like, oh no, 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 you need to hear us out. So I listened to them. I figured it was a free trip, so they came out here. They, uh, uh, you know, met everybody. I figured I needed a change in my life. I was going through. Uh, some changes in my life where I needed to settle down and be more mature and, and take a path towards responsibility. Um, and I just had too many friends that were just pulling me in the mm. wrong direction that I, let's talk about that before we move on. Uh, what, what do you mean they were pulling you in the wrong direction? And why is that so important to get away from those situations? Um, I mean, I was just, I mean, I kind of was like the, uh, like, I wouldn't say the Fonz, but the, uh, I was kind of like Norm, like everybody knew me, and <laughs> like I was like that party animal in every scene, like uh, in the early two thousands. And um, I had so many groups of friends, but we all—I went out every single night. Yeah. I drank every single night. I partied every single night. I, you know, dabbled in so many things that yeah. that just stopping that. I just, you know, it was just it was very hard, and just to go somewhere else new don't know anybody which was really rough when i first moved here for the first two years i i absolutely hated it here um just because it was just like new new buddy it was just such a culture thing i didn't go out you know like i worked all the time and you know i didn't have that release and had trying to figure out how to maintain to, what to do with that release instead of going out every single night was was a little bit rough um but then yeah and then so moving here was like kind of like that decision it was like okay i could go in the path that i'm going and i'll probably be a line cook for the rest of my life or you know maybe a sous chef or just a saucier or uh but then shit could go awry where what i was doing in my life could have been detrimental or you know 
take a chance, move somewhere different, do a whole reset and, and, and change the person who I am. Nobody has any ideas of who I am. Cause who do you want to be at that time? Well, at the time when people knew me, I mean, I was the, you know, people had embarrassing stories of me and like, just like I was called <laughs> cake dance. Like I have no shame, so I don't really care. <laughs> but like I was at some bar and knocked someone's birthday cake on the floor and jumped on it and screamed cake dance and danced. it. <laughs> that was the kind of, like I did stupid things. Man. But to go to somewhere where nobody knew, knows who you are and restart that so, like, you know, your coworkers don't know that and stuff like that. Being so young to be get a responsibility job, people are going to always think about that. So I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to, to change, you know, who I was. So I, I, I chose to do a restart and, you know kind of go on that path how much of this restart this restart or the the success to this restart do you contribute to removing yourself from those influences 100 percent. yeah yeah i mean i had chris jackson who was like the chef uh here at six Ben. he was the executive chef for the first two years uh it was my mentor you know even bruce cooper was great to me i mean i love that guy um at jake's and uh you know like but chris pulled me here because of that reason and like he knew he had he saw something in me and and you know just beat it out of me whenever when we when i moved here and you know it's like you know this is your this is where you need you how old need were to go. you at this time i was 24 25 yeah it's about the time where you know it's good to have your fun but you yeah. know the longer you wait to to get your shit together the harder it's going to be you know to, to climb that ladder so you're at six pence 2005 um and within three years you made it to executive chef yeah. that's fucking awesome dude um considering where you were and how you were able to turn around like congratulations Thank you. um so take us through that process of of climbing that ladder of evolving uh, so i uh so when i first took you know like when i first moved here you know doing stuff i still like, hung out with some of the staff as a sous chef and and i you know still went out with them just because i was lonely and you know and then, then they were good people i'm not going to say anything bad about the people but it's just like then you know chris said he was going to leave he wanted me to go with him but the thing is like something about pittsburgh i just started to fall in love with the city um there's so much potential people are so really cool and i was just like you know no i'm gonna you know mark brought her saw something in me and uh, being so young to be like we want you to take over this flagship restaurant um so i you know i took the job chris was a little bit mad he did apologize years later <laughs> uh but uh, I took the job, and I just, you know, I realized there's certain things that I needed to take care of. Like, when I was a sous chef, I was a dick. Like, I yelled at people for no reason. <laughs> I, I found their weak spot, and I just fucking stabbed at it. <laughs> and people would quit because of me. And uh, and this was while Chris was still the chef. And he came up to me, and he's like, listen, six people came to me. And he's like, six. We have, you know, the back of the house is like a staff of, you know, 20-something. That's yeah. six. That's almost... It's a good chunk. It's a huge chunk. He's like, because of you, because you're you're a complete asshole. And he's like, he's like, I don't want you to apologize to these people. I just want you to fix it. And he's mm-hmm. like, I don't know how to fix it, but you need to dive deep inside yourself. And he's like, and I also signed you up for Dale Carnegie. And he's like, so he's like, you can, you're going to take that class. You know, it's uh, making friends in the workplace. And, yeah, uh, how to influence how to, people. Yeah, great book. Uh, the class is I highly recommend it to anyone that ever wants to be a manager. Um, the uh, is it an online class or actual physical location? Physical location. And Eaton Park hosted. I mean, and there's a couple places that they. Yeah, and then there's the book too, which yeah. you can get: How to Win Friends and Influence People, yeah. which is just it should be in every chef's 
any everybody's bookshelf. It's just yeah. one of those books that, that it will make you a better person. Table talking. Yeah. I could never talk to tables. Now I, I can just schmooze the pants off yeah. anybody. Uh, you know, learning how to speak to your staff and like learning how to communicate and you know getting. Granted, I still say the thing and the thing, but they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, my wife doesn't, but they do. Uh, and then um, you know just how to like how to deal with people and how to deal with hard problems and stuff like that. I mean, I recommend so, it to everybody. Let's lean into this a little bit more. Cause I feel like there might be a nugget in here that, uh, the listeners can take and apply it to their own life. So, uh, what's one thing you're doing differently to um, maybe diffuse the situation or to, or to approach a table? Like what's one lesson you took from that class that you can share with us? I mean, I, I, I stop, I let them speak. I th- always try to put myself into like as much as my pride tries to take over me. I try to put myself into their position and I swallow my pride and I just try to figure out how to handle the best situation without getting angry. Mm. And, you know, I feel like that my anger level is very minimal. I'm very calm now as a person. And like, I always just, you know, I'm quieter when it comes towards a question because I'm just thinking like, 18 different possible scenarios mm-hmm. and, and solutions. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, biggest thing I got at was, you know, treat people like human beings. Yeah. And you get the most out of them. Yeah. And when you come into those, those situations, you know, hot and heavy, you know, packing heat, ready to like shoot. And, you know, the first thing they're going to do is get defensive yeah. and, and you can't win that situation. It, it's, it's just wasted energy. Yeah. Um, all you can do is listen, try to collect as much data as possible and resolve the situation. Yeah. Uh, so huge lessons there. Um, okay. So you're, you're now the executive chef. Um, anything else that you learned in that process that coming up, how you evolved, they can share with us. Um, I think we're pretty good. I mean, that was yeah. a good nugget you, you dropped on us. I'm, I'm grateful for it. So uh, the next step, uh, well, you spent three in 2008. So you, you spent um, from 2005 to 2010 yeah. at, at uh, six pen. Yeah. How did this opportunity, when did you start getting your own vision for Rue 174? Like talk to us about where that all started. So um, I always wanted to do my own thing, you know, um, even though, the company takes took care of me, so spent took care of me. For what gave profit sharing, you know, benefits, vacations, and I, I mean, I was probably one of the highest paid chefs, or really high, the paid chef, um, especially for my age. But I just I wanted to do my own thing. I didn't want anybody to tell me no. And granted, the Broadhursts were, you know, they never did. But I started running into some some conflicts with my general manager at the time. So um, I was like, you know. At the point where, like, I had started creating this image of, like, a restaurant where it was, you know, international cuisine. Because I don't like to, like, I don't want to be constricted to one type of cuisine. And I wanted to do more fine dining. But um, Pittsburgh lends itself to, like, a little larger portions. It's a blue-collar city. Um, so it was, like, make it more rustic, but using modern hints and de- using creative meats. Um, just because, one, we were a very small restaurant time but um you know like using tongue and you know why so serve people duck balls i was gonna say yeah. duck balls i think i saw that mentioned a couple of times yeah. in my research um i had tuna bloodline sausage i mean if you google tuna bloodline sausage you'll see that i did it um 
like it's the first thing that pops up. Say tuna bloodline sausage. So I take the, the bloodline and I'd make sausage out of it. Oh, sick! And so um, sick and in the, the most complimentive way yeah. possible. <laughs> I, I got interviewed by CNN for serving uh, fish marrow. Um, so I was being like creatively using parts that were thrown away and trying to make it more, you know, like a sustainable tour. Yeah. Like, using so, all the parts of the animal. So um, you wanted to do your own thing. How looking back at how you left uh, six pen, did you, was your exit graceful? Uh, would you have done it differently or did you think you did it well? I think I did it well. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't let them know until I was supposed to open up the porch for them. I okay. Was like, so then I got to travel to LA and Phoenix and do a whole bunch of eating tours, gain a bunch of weight, cry a little bit because you ate too much. And then you <laughs> know you have four other places to go. Um, but, uh, you know, like I was still in the, I was found a business partner, Pat, uh, Bollinger. Uh, and then, um, we were finding a space and when we find a space inside the lease, I was like, I have to, I have to let them know. Um, so, you know, I, I was I let, um, Mark and, uh, Brooks and, you know, um, know that I was, I was going to do my own thing. And I, I mean, like they were nothing but nice. Like they, they were shocked, surprised, I guess. Um, but then, you know, they gave me plates for my restaurant from some of the companies that, you know, like they, they took over and they had just had a massive amount nice. of plates. They gave me silverware, you know, the Broadhurst were still like, Mark was, a uh, uh, bridesmaid or groomsmaid. My, one of my best, what is the groomsmaid? Uh, groomsman. Yeah. Groomsman. Uh, and, <laughs> Close uh, enough. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was one of my guys and all of them were at the wedding and, you know, they, they're nothing but genuine people. Awesome. So reflecting back hindsight being 2020 opening this restaurant what would you have done differently what did you do right what would you have done differently i think what i did right is uh i was gave them enough time uh i think that i was honest with them um you know i probably should have came out a little bit because it was stressful more stressful for me just overthinking of what they were going to do um like if they were going to be mad and literally they weren't so i could have took got like relieved a little bit of stress yeah. by letting him know a little bit beforehand. Um, so I think I, I, I got that. What I probably, you know, I wouldn't have let him know last minute either. And I gave him four months, uh, four to five months. That's pretty good. Uh, I, I don't need to say that the only thing that sucks about that is you have four to five months that you kind of checked out a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, someone else is going to take over. And I would, I would have probably would have liked to have, been a little bit more involved at the yeah. very end but i i just feel that it was it was just i don't know i i wanted to be out and you know i had it i i but i still had a dedicated date so i wish i would have been a little bit more helpful yeah. to them at the end i guess that would be the only thing so you had the vision locked and loaded uh leaving you knew you were going to do a specific type of restaurant what were your challenges in opening that restaurant route 174 this is in 2011 going back like seven years ago uh, the, I mean, going through all the, I would say definitely when schmoozing is a is a good thing because you, you got to schmooze city officials, just be <laughs> genuine to them and nice to them. Like even, I mean, everybody's regular people, and if they come off as dicks, you know, just sit there and let them be a dick to you, and just just kind of schmooze them a little bit because. <laughs> In the end, like me schmoozing my building inspector, like I didn't need a building inspector. I wasn't at Brute. There was no walls that were being torn down. It was a pre-existing restaurant. Yeah, he came in just to be a dick, and he, you know, 
wanted to find these things to procrastinate to get in, get more paid. Okay. And you know, me just talking to the guy and just you know, just being nice to him and whatever calmed him down a little bit. And the only things that I got, like I had to replace an exit sign, and you know, the light downstairs was burnt out or something okay. like that. And there was something else. And at the end, he started talking about his mom's tattoo or his tattoo of his mom on a motorcycle <laughs> wearing nothing, like a, a skimpy outfit. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's nice. great, man. <laughs> but, uh, so uh, you had the Route 174 from 2011 to 2013, two years? No, it was, was it? we were open uh, five, five, five years. years. Okay. Yeah, so so uh, take us through the evolution of that restaurant, how, it, how the opening was in towards like w- what made, what was the ultimate demise? So and when we opened, we wanted to do, uh, like at the beginning it was going to be more bistro-esque. Okay. And... Um, which was nice, just because like we we started off simple and then we evolved and into what we were near the end. Uh, and then there's pros and cons, which I'll explain. Uh, so like when we opened, it was just like going to be like you know like a steak and like palm frites and you know like kind of simpler bistro foods, but with some twists. Okay, and. Um, which we opened and we were doing well and we had cheaper prices and you know me being young or whatever you know we were doing good numbers that but i didn't think that they were good at the time but more than numbers like we were like we we're a 36 seat restaurant without alcohol and we were doing two grand a night okay um and you know we were busy and you know our average you know uh plate entree was probably between 16 and 22 okay and you know there wasn't a lot of i mean there was there was a lot of processes to it but it was very simpler more rustic food yeah and um and then you know like i started i would say that i wouldn't say i started looking at the costs and whatever Mm -hmm. and the labor and stuff like that and i I was like oh we need to up these prices oh Mm -hmm. we're gonna get these better cuts of meat in oh we're gonna do these things and um, started chewing into your your margin a little bit more. Yeah, and then yeah. it started raising the prices a little bit, and uh, I think that's who, the where we started to because once you raise your price, and people know you as a more higher end, yeah. Um, especially you know, and I don't think we were overpriced because me coming from Philadelphia, my yeah. entrees were twenty two to thirty two. It's pretty affordable compared to what the prices were there. I'm sure. Yeah, and but people, you know, thought we were expensive. Yeah, and so then we started seeing a dip in, in sales um, during the week days. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of you know a lot of other things came into play when we started talking about uh, the city growth and stuff like that. I'll get into that. Um, but yeah, so then so I raised my prices and I saw started seeing some people drop down, uh, and then I started doing more elevated food with like you know. Um, just more intricately plated, harder dishes to do. Um, you know, we were known for do a lot of awful meat, um, duck testicles to fish marrow to bone marrow creme brulee to, um, you know, tuna, tuna, uh, bloodline bolognese yeah. to bloodline sausage to, you know, just doing something more unique. And, you know, it's, it was great for the first four years and then, and then the city blew up. So and, more and more restaurants, more you know, tapping into that market, yeah, sharing the customers. So it's yeah, I'd say the, the last year, a um, couple things happened. One, started working on this project. We had a a, a person write about uh, write about me opening the other project, the project, but their uh, the titleist, the person that titles the the edit, uh, the column, 
said that I was leaving my own restaurant. Oh, okay. And there was a new chef. Just how it read, it was just like, I'm leaving. And I, you know, I had to call up the person and yell at them. Be like, what the hell? Like, who wrote this? Because my, my entire clientele, my regulars, dropped like, What's going after on? last year. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer, man. And then, Were you leaving? or was that- I wasn't leaving. Okay. I just hired a chef de cuisine, and I was oh. going to oh, still do my food, let that person take a little bit of control of the food or whatever. Yeah. But I was... I was going to have him. I mean, run that's the what kitchen. ultimately that's what we're all sh- supposed to do is yeah. to to have the vision to grow the business and to mentor those underneath us and eventually replace ourselves so we can go focus on the next project and grow our empire. Yeah. Um, and so that's a with, bummer, dude. With this article that came out from uh, uh, it was Pittsburgh Magazine, it just uh, it made me look like I was I was leaving my own restaurant Ugh. in the title, and I would get so many people like, "Why is Keith leaving?" Calling, and I'm like, "I'm not leaving." Like, <laughs> but we literally saw our regulars drop at least by sixty percent, and okay. uh, then um, and then on top of that, the city has grown. Like, there's this huge Pittsburgh boom going mm-hmm. on right now. And it's like the oh. tech scene, and oh, yeah, yeah. But the, and and with the restaurant scene, it's great. But there's just too many restaurants and not enough enough people. Also, there's a there's a bubble going on where um, so Pittsburgh's being over. Like when I moved here, my rent was five hundred dollars for a two bedroom apartment, wow. and it was big. And that's two thousand and that yeah, and that apartment now would probably be twelve hundred bucks. Wow. And it's it's just, we're basically. All the kids that used to live in Pittsburgh are now being pushed out because the rent is so high, and they're being replaced by, uh, you know, wealthier tech yeah. people with families. But the thing is, they have the money to pay the rent and go out maybe once or twice a week. Mm. But back then, the kids went out every single night, and you completely see a difference now. They, they they're living either in the suburbs or mm. if they do live in the city, they only go out once or twice a week yeah. instead of going out every night. And you know, they're pinched, and the city keeps. Uh, Go thinking like this is great, blah blah blah, blah and then we keep oversaturating, oversaturating, yeah. and over like overpricing everything, and it, we're becoming almost like Seattle, where it's you know, yeah, it's impossible to go out. It's Very impossible to, person, to live. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's rough, man. Um, let's try to extract extract some some nuggets here, some knowledge bombs. Uh, there were a couple. Uh, I don't want to. I want you to kind of paraphrase the issue with uh, the pricing and how you raise your prices. What would you have done differently if you could go back? Would you have started with just high prices and like kind of set the standard right there? Like what or what? What would you have done differently there? Um, I probably would have looked at like my labor, my you know, like it was kind of hard because we evolved into yeah. like doing harder food, and that was just my own yeah. my own pride wanting to be the best so maybe and being like instead so, of involving within that restaurant opening another one that's separate so you're not doing too many things in one restaurant is that yeah maybe you're not fodder yeah and then i mean i think i should have costed things out a little bit better okay. like i should have i mean as much as i you know there's certain dishes that you're like okay should charge this but you can get this for it okay. or this is what your friend's charging even though like he might be overpriced yeah but he's charging that price but yeah. you're not in that same area kind of feel so i think that i should have just went with my gut and priced it correctly and and looked at like okay i, I i'm in a neighborhood and we did offer a 15 percent off of uh the food for anybody that lived in the neighborhood but um you know we were we were a i don't know like we were 
a romantic like spot like a place to, it's almost like fine dining without the fine it was like okay. a casual fine dining place that people a special occasion i guess yeah okay and i, w- I wish i would have created you know put a burger on or put yeah. on something that would bring people every day and you know going from root closing it which ruined my entire year <laughs> i mean i went through some mental problems with oh, that man, but uh uh closing it to you know opening up pork and beans and realizing that you know Serving food at, at a at like price ranges that are more affordable, you actually you're, you're busier every day. Yeah, just like when I first opened, we were busier. Yeah, every day, um, because we're serving something that you know people want and yeah. people would want to eat every day. So. Got you. So the other big nugget I wanted to shine the light on was uh, this: the importance of being careful what you say to the media. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like uh, really think about what you're going to say because you know it, it could hurt you. So like, don't don't like hold back, but just be very clear. Uh, yeah. Maybe you were clear. Maybe you just took what you said and twisted it. I mean, like, if you read the article, it was completely. It was talking about like how I was going to do this, and I still yeah. own that. It was the titleist that put it in. That uh, it was they in the just, title. Well, they, yeah. the media now wants to capture your attention, so you read it, and so they'll write anything for a title. Like uh, that will pull people in. I guess the one guy thought Keith Lee's Route 174 to open a new restaurant sounds like a great idea because I technically I was yeah leaving but, leaving, but yeah. I wasn't leaving my own restaurant yeah, yeah. and I wasn't you know it was confusing. I got you. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, there was one more. Maybe it'll come to my mind later. But let's transition. Uh, you, you actually mentioned something, so we'll dive into where you were at when one uh, Route 174 closed. You said you were going through some shit, yeah. so. So, I mean, we're, you know, we started doing this uh, this restaurant concept, you know, put all my money into this place. Uh, and then, you know, we're at the peak of uh, restaurant boom where, you know, everybody and their mother is opening up a restaurant. And, uh, you know, my, I was doing, you know, the, the year before was doing like $7,000 a week to this that year i started doing a thousand dollars a week and you know i had to start letting people off and uh and we were only a four-man line you know it was a very tiny kitchen and you know just kind of like slowly cutting and you know and the stress and the ulcer and you know you gave yourself an ulcer with the stress is that what oh you're? yeah and, oh, I, and I just ignore you know so i was just not a, a, a person mentally yeah. right person you're, to be you're around. talking a lot about what was happening on the outside physically around you but what was happening on the inside like what was going through your mind what was going through oh i went the, the emotions so like uh when we decided to close root i mean we had uh, we had no money mm. like all was all here it was it, it was an our restaurant was a negative couple thousand to five thousand dollars a week oh. business that you know we had to keep dumping money and we 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 were didn't know so i had to close it that day yeah. so i had to fire these i had a server that was with me since day one oh. i mean like and, and i love the guy we had to let everybody go and just close the door because we couldn't afford to keep them you know people said oh you should open up but i'm like you know some weird you know like i just you know i wasn't ready to do that yeah and then closing it it was like killing you know you know my child i mean i I wouldn't say my child like because now i have a child yeah it was something so important to me that i went into it was your creation though you know it was it came from you it came from your mind it was your energy your love poured into this thing and you don't want to go away i get that um so what was the worst part of that like like emotionally what was the worst part of that uh i mean how i treated my wife i mean uh the next two days later she told me she was pregnant um 
and I feel horrible through the whole pregnancy because I was in such a depressive, uh, suicidal oh, uh, uh, state of mind. Even though I opened this, I mean, it's still it's, it's a completely different. People are like, "Oh, you should be happy," you yeah. know, blah blah blah. And I was, but there was killing root was just so. It's a part. Yeah, yeah I totally I, get it, man. I would. I uh, there's a, there's only a few people that understand that have closed restaurants that understand what you feel and and you never want to do it again. And 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 uh, you know, it's taken a lot of therapy, a lot of medications to. Uh, and a lot of talking to my wife to make yeah. things better, but so let's 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 talk about that making it better. There's light at the end of the tunnel. You're in a good place now. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about where uh, the whole evolution of this partnership you have with yeah. Deschance. Um, so we always talked about doing a restaurant together. Um, so were you guys chums back when you, oh, were, yeah. you were working on with Route One Seven Four? Yeah, we have friends. I think from Six Pen when he opened okay. up Nine on Nine, we've been friends, and you know, like, so friends all the way back to the mid two thousands. Yeah. And we decided, you know, we'd always do these events together, and and we always talked about doing a restaurant together, um, you know, and we both opened up restaurants together. He opened up Meat and Potatoes. I opened up um, Root a uh, month and a half apart. Uh, you know, he became wildly successful, yeah. and, you know, we were, we were reputation-wise, yeah. were successful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and... Ooh, we finally thought at this particular time it was it was right to you know do the restaurant together and we sat together talked about what we wanted to do and you know and we uh, came up with pork and beans i mean this is a concept that he started thought about a while ago but then pulled me in on and and then we pulled james in on it who's been smoking meat who's a chef de cuisine that's going to be opening up uh, a fried chicken place in the by the next year nice. and uh and we basically got together and created this, and yeah, we opened it up. And so, what are the dynamics of that partnership? Because I think a lot of people will say never go into a partnership. The partnerships are the worst thing you can possibly do. I personally think that's bullshit. I think to do things well, you all need to be in your own lane, and you need to focus at doing a few things really well and having those partners. Yeah. Uh, so, what makes a good partnership, in your opinion? Uh, I think just communication, yep. just talking to each other. Uh, you know, and sometimes people get. You know, you're going to get upset or you're going to think something's right and whatever, and you always got your pride. But if you swallow your pride and at least listen to the other person and try to take it from their point of view, and then you can talk it out, then it should be able to work. Like, um, you should be able to get things done. But if you if you hold on to your pride and they're holding on to their pride, you're always going to be a Pulling stalemate. in different directions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It goes back to the, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so what are other, some nuggets uh, from this partnership? Why you, you thought it'd be good? Like, how did you guys split up the responsibility and all that stuff? Um, I mean, like, uh, we've, you know, James taught, uh, we pulled James in the chef to cuisine who's going to be opening up the other restaurant. He knows a lot about smoking, you know, like, he knew a lot about, you know, you know the food that i make the sausages and doing the finer styles and stuff like that and um you know rick is really good with um just you know looking at you know like building and construction and how it uh you know how the space looks and feels and you know like we all are three good at that rick's also a really great chef as well and uh yeah we just kind of like melded everything together where rick helped design or rick designed this place I put in my my two cents here and there, and you know some of them were good, some of them were bad. Some yeah. of them we're still going to <laughs> improve on, um, you know. And you know, communal seating people people in Pittsburgh hate it, which we were realizing it. People just <laughs> absolutely hate it. Um, 
but uh, you know, eventually, you know, we're, we're going to get some some tables. Like we talked about that. Do yeah. we think it's the right time right now? No. Let's just give it another couple months, and then yeah. we'll slowly start to integrate that. Um, and then in the back of the house, we were, we you know, we talked about do we want to do finer dining? Do we want to do this? And what we chose is barbecue places are usually more casual. So we started going on that route. Um, will we progressively go add a little bit more finer touches to it? I, I think so. I think this place will be like root where we slowly start to evolve it mm-hmm. um, into what it's going to be in the long run. But um, but not get away from the aspect of um, keeping our clientele as, you know, like we are the most casual chain. We are the most family friendly of the Richard Chance restaurant yeah. groups. You know, we, you know, get lots of families. Our lunches are great, you know. I mean, I. Uh, and you know keep our prices fair you know and, and kind of going along that end but then still like add in a couple tweaks of some nicer end stuff i think is is the goal so com- comparing um where you are now what were some of the things that you want to make sure you, d- you did differently having a run at opening your own place and, and seeing it through the life cycle uh what were some of the things that you took from that experience and and did differently with with opening this location I mean, so the the things that like I would do differently, I wouldn't underestimate the city. But so it took us, you know, we were ready by February, and okay. we didn't get a uh, the city didn't send a um, hood inspector for eight months. Oh man! So we had to pay eight months of rent oh. in downtown, which was pretty expensive. <laughs> oh man! So that was on the. Uh, the end of our our thing and then um just staffing just kind of like um was this was at uh route 174 or with because it was here here yeah it took us eight months so it was was pretty expensive uh so get those permits get everything as you can as as soon as you get you know a hint that you might be opening a restaurant just get the the ball so like yeah like the place that we're looking at right now uh because i want to do a um a nerd bar because i think that the city is oversaturated with uh, restaurants and there's not a lot of things to do in the city like you can go bowling but w- where else is there a place that's like more of a community hub yeah. and so the place I want to do is like a nerd bar but then it has a stage to do TED Talks and yeah, like, you know cool. neighborhood forums and there's a board game room and there's arcades and pinball and yeah I mean I think Chicago is a great city to look at yeah. that you know you go to Chicago and that's a city that's been uh financially stable for a while i feel, I feel like right yeah. um so when you have all this money and all these restaurants coming to town it, you really gotta diversify and find your niche and do things just to stand out yeah. and i think that's probably the evolution of pittsburgh you had all these people come in so now the evolution is going to be not just good food and creative food but like how can we entertain these people how can yeah. we create awesome experiences if you're going to go out to eat you go out to eat and then what do you do yeah you go home or you, you go to the theater yeah okay so you don't want to go to the theater what do you do and so okay. You know, everybody, like, these people came to me and, and asked me to come look at the spot, and they said they wanted me to do a restaurant, and I said, I don't, I don't want to do a restaurant, because they're already doing eight restaurants on that street. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, what are these people going to do? You put in something like that, you go there beforehand, you have a couple of drinks, you play some video games, yep. you hang out, there's going to be food, it's like really great vegan bar food, and then you would go to the restaurant and eat or whatever and then you're know, like oh that place was awesome let's go back and place you know yeah. a, a gauntlet because they got that and, <laughs> or let's go hang out because uh, yeah. you know you know someone's talking about saturn and and uh the the voyager um you know 
that was that a cool night. documentary, by yeah. the way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, awesome. So, anything that we haven't touched on, anything you're hoping we would cover in your story, in your journey up to this point, uh, how you've evolved, big lessons you can leave our listeners to be better professionals. Now's your time to shine. No, oh, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, my biggest thing for chefs is, you know, I'm not a screamer. No one needs to be screamed at. The big, the more you get out of people is by, you know, getting, earning their respect, treating them like human beings. You can get mad and you can, you know, you can blow up here and there. But, you know, if you earn their respect, you ask them who they are about their kids and do that. Treat them like humans. Yeah. yeah. And when you get upset, you know, they feel bad. When you're a dick and and you get upset they they just don't care mm. and I, you can get more out of people um and more out of your staff by you know treating them like people being so, decent it's very powerful awesome stuff uh, we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back all right guys it's time to get real and answer this question honestly does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants if the answer is no you need to do something about it because 89 percent of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant so you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to GetBento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Chef Fuller, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, I, I would say that uh, my personality and... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I can schmooze people. Ever since Dale Carnegie, I couldn't talk to a table. I took, took that class and uh, I, I just... 
I learned how to say the most outrageous things that could either a really get me in trouble or you know not being offensive but just like saying things that are just so off the wall but i wanted to get away with it and see if i could and learning how to do that i've learned how to choose people awesome (laughs) what is your biggest weakness um that's a weakness so you spend most of your career career interviewing people. Yeah. And now <laughs> the the tides have turned. Um I w- I mean I'm stubborn. I'm very stubborn, so I'd say that's that's that is like, you know, I if I set my mind to something, I want to I want to accomplish it even if it is the wrong decision. And it usually takes, you know, a friend or a partner to just kind of question it and then question me down to it. And then, <laughs> you know, if you start to question me down, I start to realize where that person's coming from. I can realize that it, that it's a stupid idea. Um, so um, sometimes I just don't stop and think <laughs> when it comes to some things like that. So I'd say that would be really Stubbornness. Got it. Uh, what's one question you ask or thing that you look for when you're building your team? Um, I don't think it's a question more along the lines is it's just I talk to him like I'm talking to you right now and I figure out try to feel the person for who they are because I mean I could the, the the quality of cooks out there right now are, are you know has gone down and the quality of like chefing is is a weird dynamic because <sighs> There's just not a lot of good cooks out there. But the thing is, it, it, people are keep saying that. But the thing is, I used to take at root take bar cooks and kids that have never cooked food before and and mold them into you know sous chefs and chefs. Yes. And yes. the thing is, if you're a good human being and you, if I talk to you at an interview and you're just mellow and you're here to learn and like you're just you know you have that gun ho attitude and whatever. I would hire someone that knows nothing than hire someone that knows everything, but that thinks that they deserve your job. Yeah. And you, you touched on something that really, and this is why they're never speed rounds. I just, just call us the knowledge bomb section, uh, because we they never turn into a speed round. Uh, but you just touched on something that's so important and that there's a lot of good people out there, not necessarily a lot of skilled chefs. Um, but here's the thing, like we live in such a transactional society. We expect to just be able to, to put out, you know, our, the rates out there and have people come and work for us. But the truth is we need to transform these people. We need to take people who don't have any skills yeah. and give them the skills. And that's what we've been doing as long as we've existed on this planet is mentoring the next generation giving those skills um and there's a lot of people that just aren't willing to do it it's, it's too much work right yeah. but that's bullshit because that's that's what it's all about is yeah. passing that knowledge on i so, mean you sorry start- it's a sense you hit a you hit a vein <laughs> i mean like i would you know i mean you just right now you just interview everybody and you just talk to them and if, yeah. if they want to be here you give them the shot and nice. you know if they're if they think they're too good for this place or too good or whatever those are the people you want to stick around like why do you want that on yeah. your team? It just becomes a, a just eventually they're going to become a venom and then they're going to poison your staff. When you hire someone that's a good person that wants to to be here and wants to learn, they, they they'll do anything. Heard. Awesome. What's your biggest challenge today? Managing my time with my 
wife and child, newborn, or I guess he's not really that newborn now, he's nine months, but just being a father and work, you know, you know, being there for my, my son, um, you know, I have, I, you know, I have okay parents, I mean, great parents, mom and dad, uh, but I mean, I was the last of four, my family doesn't say I love you, it's very awkward, uh, <laughs> you know, and, you know, just trying to be the father that that I, you know I always see other people have or see the the parents that other people have I want to make sure I'm, I'm that to them to him and maybe another one I, I dig know. it how do you plan on doing that what's your plan to, to make that happen well you know I take my wife and you know we'd have coitus and maybe have another <laughs> one that way uh, no I just uh, oh man that's low hanging fruit right there <laughs> the, uh, I think um, to do it I mean you know is you know don't have it's, for me I set my wanted to always set myself up for the future before I started having kids and granted I'm 38 and mm-hmm. I have a child and I look old because I've been stressed and worn and beaten for the past couple of years <laughs> um, but the you know to to you know I I would it would you're never too you you're never ready for a kid so make sure you have it when you're at least somewhere in your 30s and then you know when you feel like it's yeah i I don't have any kids so ladies if you're out there help me out um i'm single i'm looking (laughs) my time's getting short (laughs) yeah i'm I'm just saying set yourself up for the future before you start to settle down yeah is always a good thing because if i got married when i was in my 20s i probably would ignored my wife and and would have been through a couple of divorces by now. I think when I decided to settle, I was near the peak of my career is when I met my wife. And I'm not saying it's it, like it's over now. I just think that my priorities have shifted between, you know, I would do anything to be the best. I would do anything to get my name out there. And mm-hmm. I would do that. I still will do that. But not it's not expense. my, it's not my number one. My number yep. one is to see my family, to see my son, to see, to see my life and, and, and go on that and to then learn how to manage my work mm-hmm. instead of my work manage me heard uh share one code of conduct or behavior uh you teach your team i'm talking to core values a way to be um i'm the i mean the the a lot of the things is like everywhere i work I always make sure that the front of the house and the back of the house get along and that's like a key thing to have um because you know if you're front of the house and back of the house get along, you become one tight knit family. Mm. And, you know, when it get, helps get food out better, it helps get, you know, like communications better. And so that's like a key that you try, always try to work on. So you try and like get everybody together. Also be happy at what you do. Don't care about getting your names in, in the paper because your 15 minutes of fame is 15 minutes of fame. And yeah. You're going to spend it. And then so you're, you're left with what? You're, like, yeah, <laughs> you're, not, you're not sitting there. People aren't going to be like, Oh my God, that's the guy that made that dish. Yeah. It's just, you know, it goes on to the next person. So yeah. enjoy the time and have mm. fun at work mm. is, is something I dig it. If you're spending most of your life here with me or, <laughs> or with another chef, you might as well enjoy it. So you might as well just kind of like awesome. Be I happy. Um, okay, so what's one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff? So this is an uncommon—it's uncommon to the industry, but common in your restaurant. I'd have to think about that one. Yeah, we can come back to okay. it. <laughs> um, all right, share an online resource or tool. 
Um, so, like, uh, when I create dishes, I usually think of the protein, what I'm going to use, and I would, uh, uh, it's called Google search images. <laughs> I know this sounds very, like, I'm not making fun of or thing, but I, I would be like, okay, I want to make something with pork. And yep. What kind of a pork do I want to use? A pork chop, blah, 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 blah. So I'd, I'd go to Google images and i hit pork chop. And then I would just look at the images and just see what people have done. But then also looking at the colors and the textures and, and the shapes yeah. and stuff like that. And then what I would do is then I would type in what's in season. And then I would see, you know, vegetables that are in season while thinking about the colors and textures and, and, and flavors. And then I would, um, you know, just sit there and think about it. Uh, and then eventually I'd come up with a, a dish um, through that way. Just kind of like like know, building the foundation. Just, slowly just, yeah. you know, and then it all has to do with, I mean, for me, it's visual. Like my number one is flavor. Then it's like visual like how do like okay everybody's done like a whatever chicken piccato or everybody's done steak and mashed potatoes or whatever well how do i make it to where it's you know fun and mm-hmm. then i would be like okay these colors and then like okay these flip but these colors and have to go with these flavors and like how do i do that on a plate to make it very look interesting and, and so unique. so use google to just to get the ideas to get creative and every, every you know every great artist steals right uh, oh, everything's so, been done before ever yeah but you can take what's been done and you can build off of it and you can use it to prime the engine that that creative engine um so what's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that has influenced operations become more efficient more effective improved communication profitability uh tiny scanner there's an app on your phone that you take pictures of your invoice and receipts was it called tiny's camera tiny scanner tiny scanner okay uh, yeah it helps you make sure that anybody that has a your business card uh, has that <laughs> so they can take a picture as soon as they uh, take a picture of your uh, receipt so they don't lose it uh, because lost receipts are always the uh, number one <laughs> and I, I'm definitely prime of that so that's yeah. why I do it uh, then uh, we have a crew app which is uh, an app for um, communicating within uh, multiple restaurants also multiple also just if sort of like a group text for yeah. you, you and your people. Okay. Um, that's called crew crew app. Yeah. Okay. C R E W. And then um trying to think what other technology do we use? Uh any yeah. like like data mining or data collection that you're we use at? rest uh restaurant three sixty five, okay. which is uh you know um there's pros and cons to it, the and there's headaches and hassles especially setting it up for what we do um if you're a, a, a restaurant that changes your menu every single day yeah it, it would be an almost a nightmare to use <laughs> um but if you have more stable things it'll tell you your food costs how many people came in it'll tell you who's Buying your regulars and, yeah. uh also with our bar we have uh, uh this awesome app called uh uh why am i forgetting it all the times uh <laughs> just yell over there real quick i don't that's why i'm going on site so we can do this <laughs> we got customers in here hey what's our bar app that we use up there <laughs> the the communication chain is, is bouncing to the server to, we'll we'll get it <laughs> we'll hunt it down before i say goodbye i promise you that there's uh, 
schedule fly, which is the front yep. of the house server. Um, back of the house changes. You know, we, we're more of a consistent back of the house. It's, servers always change there. Yeah. So schedule fly for the front of the house we yep. use. Um, okay, we're recording. Uh, digital poor, I just remembered. <laughs> digital poor is the other one. All right, awesome. Uh, so the next question, we're almost done, is what is one book that must that we must read to make us either a better person or a restaurant right, operator? I mean, just Dale yeah, Carnegie's <laughs> How to Influence How people. to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and I'm right there with you. That is an, a great book. Everyone must read that one. And the last question is a big one. You ready for it? Sure. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work, your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity, uh, and that would just make us the world a better place, what would it be? Um, with the restaurants? Oh, uh, anything. to make like, the uh, like restaurant advice or just advice on how to be how to treat others anything i mean just to read dale carnegie uh <laughs> be a good human being uh and don't let work take over your life because when you're young it's easy to do but once you start getting older then you start to realize some things that you've missed beautiful i love it Chef Fuller, oh man, thank you so much for hanging out and uh, share your story, sharing your advice. This was a great conversation. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is a one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry that you think I should get on the show? Uh, Curtis Gamble from Station. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he is, uh, you know, he's, he's doing really cool things and, you know, he's working really hard. Curtis Campbell Station. Where is that? Gamble, G-A-M-B-L-E. Gamble. It's in the, um, Liber- uh, off Liberty Avenue here in Bloomfield. Beautiful. Well, I'm in town for a couple more days. Hopefully I can squeeze it in. Look out, Curtis. I'm coming after you. And uh, let the folks at home know if we want to maybe come join your team or uh, we want to pick up the conversation, how can we connect? Social handles, email, anything like that you want yeah, to share you with can, us? You can email me at kful1 at gmail.com. All right. Um, and... All right, man. Well, this was a great time, a great conversation. Uh, it was an honor making an example of you. Thank you so much. Uh, this is episode 428. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 428 for a link links back to the books to the the recommendations plus a summary of today's discussion all right there chef keith fuller there is no questioning my man you are unstoppable (laughs) oh wait we need to come back um there was a question what do we do uh yeah i almost let you go man i almost let you go you you almost got away with it i would say that what we do here that's unique i would i mean we have our silverware and our paper towels on the table because we're a barbecue place yeah so like our, our silverware is in a tin coffee can you know our paper towels are on on the uh the wall the mounted, wall or yeah. mounted on a uh on a, on a roll and you know like it's a unique touch it's a unique touch i mean it's different uh some people really love it but for us it's more like the design of the place this is barbecue this yeah is we like, feel like kind of like a barn almost like yeah, yeah. we're doing like uh shabby shabby chic type food so it's yeah. like we're doing really nice food uh with a great barbecue you know laid barbecue back. laid back yeah. you know grab it help yourself communal family okay. style now, now i'll let you go man this okay. was a great conversation thanks again for everything you rock 
Short but sweet. Don't be a dick. I love it. Awesome episode today. And, you know, we, we kid around and uh, I, try, I try to make funny titles, uh, but it's true. It, there's so much truth to that where, you know, people will remember how you make them feel. They remember when you were there for them. And we might lose our cool every now and again. But for the majority, if, you, if you're taking care of your people and you care about your people and they, they know you have their back, uh, you'll get much more out of them. Uh, the, the relationship will go further. And there, there was tons of great conversation, uh, great things that came out of today's uh, talk. And I kind of... I don't love when the conversation goes dark and we talk about the realities uh, of the industry. I mean, I'll be honest, this is a very motivational, uh, inspirational podcast. It's it's meant to be. Uh, but the truth is, no matter how successful you are or who you are, uh, not everything is going to always be uh, fuzzy teddy bears and, I don't know, rainbows and, and goodness. Like, there's a reality to this industry that, uh, you know, the industry it can be really tough. It can chew you up and spit you out. And I think it's just really important to almost to, you know, what we create in this industry, our, our, our visions, our, our concepts are a piece of us, right? We create those, uh, we treat them like, uh, they're our baby, right? And it's like, almost like he's, he said his baby died when the, the concept didn't work out. And it's really important to keep that separation of work and reality of life, uh, and to know when the, the restaurant comes to an end, it's not the, the end of the world, right? Uh, I think that's one thing that it's worth pulling out of this conversation. And by going into these, these darker places, these places of reality, I hope you guys, I hope I'm talking some of you guys out of opening restaurants. I mean, I hate to say it, but, uh, it's hard work and the, the realities of what come out, you know, the realities that, that we discuss in the show, I, I really hope I'm, I'm talking some of you guys out of it. I, I, I hate to say it, but, I, but that's the truth. Uh, and you know, and, and I appreciate you chef fuller for going there and for being open and for being honest and talking about the, the darker sides. And, and I'm happy you came out of it. I'm happy you're doing great today. And, and it looks like things are, are really looking good for you in uh, the new restaurant group you're a part of. So congratulations, congratulations on your success. Congratulations on making the decision to get away from uh, the people that were pulling you down early on in your life. That's the other thing I want to mention from today's conversation. Um, you are the average of those people you spend your life with. And if you're the people you're spending your time with are pulling you down and, and they're not helping you get forward, get away, go surround yourself with people that are going to push you forward and, and challenge you and help you grow as a person. It will change your life. Uh, and I hope that this podcast is doing that for you. I hope you guys, uh, for some of you who it isn't as easy to get out and to surround yourself with great people. I hope this podcast is, is supplementing that. And I hope that the, the advice and the, the mentorship and the uh, energy our guests are giving us is helping lift you up. And at the very least, I hope this podcast is doing that for you. So that's all for today, guys. Um, like always, please reach out to me, Eric at restaurant unstoppable.com. Uh, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh for actually, by the time you guys are listening to this, it's crazy to think, uh, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh for just one more day. I'm headed off to Columbus, Ohio. So if you're in the Columbus area, uh, please reach out to me. I would love to connect and uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. Uh, the best way to support this show, guys, simply share it. If you know anybody who's aspiring to be great in the industry or you know, maybe just your employees, people who are managers who are maybe thinking of one day opening their own place, share this resource with them. Uh, that's the best way you can support the show. And it really, it's a, it's a great tool to, to give your team members, the people that you love. Uh, so share this resource. And I think that now I can say goodbye. Uh, thanks for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace 
out.